I want to see what that dad bod can do out there. Not buying your banjos around the campfire. Shove them up your ass. Welcome to Football Nova F-Words. My name is Zach Lyons. You can follow me on Twitter at F-WordsPod. As you can tell, Mr. Lebowski is not here to do his usual intro. He has decided to just chew on glass on his wilderness adventure, just glass and twigs, and has lost his voice. So we called in another Michael that you all know, who is wearing a hideous hoodie that you'll see on the video uh, that later released by 440 Sports. And it is Mike Miracles, Mike Herndon. You can follow him on Twitter at Mike Miracles. Mike, this... I, I know I'm going to have to see a lot of this Texas stuff for the foreseeable future because they are in the SEC, but yeah. let it be known. It does not matter what UT it is. They're both hideous colors. No, well, let, let me say this. I like both. I like both Tennessee and Texas. So I like both oranges. I grew up predisposed to oranges. So I, I'm perfectly happy with oranges. I've, I've read that this isn't technically orange. It is a is a the Frankenstein of colors. It's orange, brown, and red. Any truth to that? It is burnt orange. That it is, is that is orange. really the only description that you need. And orange, it's iconic. It is an iconic color. That was color. left in the oven a little too long. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> it is. It, it's a toasty, uh, toasty orange. To- toasty orange. Yeah. <clears throat> Mike, we are 10 days removed from that horrible gut-wrenching loss from the Cincinnati Bengals. Do you feel any better now that you see that the Bengals are in the Super Bowl, the team that that beat you, and that a 13-year veteran is now just now getting into the Super Bowl? Do you feel any better? I don't I don't really feel any better. I'm still dead inside. Um because I feel like the Titans should be in the Super Bowl. I, I feel like Short of, you know, obviously the, the inconsistencies and the turnover avalanche games were their undoing at the end of this thing. And that was their kind of Achilles heel all season. Whenever they did not turn the ball over, they almost never lost. I think the Jets game was the only game that they lost where they turned the ball over less than three times. So um, it was kind of their only way to lose. And that's appropriate that that's the way that they went out. Um, but I can't fight the feeling that like at their best, they were the best team in the AFC to me. So I, I don't know. I, I don't feel any better. I feel like it was a huge squandered opportunity. Um, you know, you don't know when the stars will align that everyone will be healthy and the, the one seed will be sitting there and home field and all of the things that, that happened for the Titans to be in the spot that they were. You just, even if they're good again next year, and I think they will be uh, regardless of, you know, almost regardless of what happens over the next few months, I think they'll be good again next year. But um, yeah, I don't I, I guess I don't feel any better. I, I, it's just but logically like you look at it from a logical perspective. Blaine Bishop said that players normally feel better when the person that beats them keeps on going and wins. That's what yeah. Blaine Bishop said on three uh, or on uh, Blaine and Mickey the other day. And he also said that. You know, the should have been us thing, he's already sick of it. it. It shouldn't have been us because this team played like crap or not really this team, Ryan Tannehill played like crap. So let me ask you this. The Bengals are in the Super Bowl. Matt Stafford, who has kind of had a similar career sort of to Ryan Tannehill, like they've kind of 
had rough starts at the beginning of the year is now 13 seasons versus what is going to be Ryan Tannehill's going into his 10th season. Does it logically provide you like hope? Is there like a voice in the back of your head that says, okay, if Stafford can do it, Ryan Tannehill can do it, right? Like is, is that in the back of your head? A little, a little bit. Um, I do think they're different players, right? I mean, I, I think Stafford, the high end of Stafford is much better than the high end of Tannehill to me. Um, just because of what he can do with his arm talent and everything like that. And he's just a little bit more, I feel like, uh, of a creative passer versus I feel like Tannehill's a little bit more robotic and and just kind of he needs to hit his back step, make his read and fire the ball. And and he's got, you know, the the arm and the accuracy to be able to be effective when all that stuff is working right. But I feel like Stafford brings a little bit more creativity to the offense and allows you a bigger menu of options uh, in ways to win. Um, so I think there's similar types. And I do guess that like Stafford wasn't lights out this year, right? I mean, he was fine. Um, there was a point where everybody thought that Stafford was going to be the reason this team couldn't even make it this far. Like they were going to be and- one and done. I mean, he threw 17 interceptions and, you know, everyone's killing Tannehill for throwing 14, you know, Stafford threw 17 and is in the, in the Super Bowl. And by the way, Burrow threw 14 too um, in the regular season and is in the Super Bowl. So both of these quarterbacks have turned the ball over at times in bunches. And it's, it's just kind of, do you turn the ball over at the wrong times in bunches? And even in that, that NFC championship game, you saw Stafford throw that ball up to Jaquiski Tart, who should have intercepted it and maybe that there was enough time that it might not have changed the the outcome but it certainly could have it would have given the the Niners a better shot so I think they are similar um and there's there should be some hope I, I think I think given more time after the loss I've backed off a little bit of the uh Tannehill you know you can't win a Super Bowl with Tannehill thing I think you could it's just a lot has to go right around him, right? You've got to have better weapons. Um, you've got to have better protection. Uh, you've got to have a good defense. You, you've got to really have a complete football team on both sides of the ball around Tannehill to get him there. He's not going to cover up any weaknesses that you might have. Well, and and to be honest, look at the team that they assembled around Matt Stafford. It's almost the same exact situation, right? They they went out and got OBJ. They went out and improved their defense. And apparently, everybody likes to make fun of them just trading away draft picks. But out of all the teams in the playoffs, they had the most homegrown players, the most players that they drafted on the roster playing in games. And it's kind of funny, right? But they... I think they had the better passing. They obviously have the better coaching as far as on the offensive scheming side of the ball, right? And they have the better weapons and they had the better blocking and they probably had a similar defense. I would say our, I think the Tennessee Titans are in a better situation defensively than the Rams were or are, but they have the star talent. They have Von Miller. They have uh, Leonard Floyd. They have J- Jalen Ramsey, Aaron Donald. I mean, they have all these guys, and they built the team. They built the team to win now, and that's what everybody thought the Tennessee Titans were doing. And I- I'll say this. For 
through Stafford's first nine seasons, and you compare it to now Tannehill, who has completed nine seasons, Stafford has thrown more interceptions in less games. He has less um, yards per attempt, less, uh, what was I going to say, less, a lower completion percentage and a lower passer rating than what Ryan Tannehill has had through nine games. And now listen, he had Calvin Johnson and he had his yardage and everything. And they also played from behind a lot. His yardage and his touchdowns are higher in a few less games. But in the end, I look at this and I kind of side with how Justin Graver handled it on Music City Audible. The latest episode was like, I think it's over or now it's over or whatever. Um, it's the latest episode of Music City Audible. And he starts off really hammering home and hammering on Ryan Tannehill, right? Ryan Tannehill through the interceptions. But if you ever want a case study for a person's descent into madness in an hour, it is Justin Graver starting off on Tannehill and saying, oh, I'm pretty neutral on firing Todd Downing. But as the whole episode progresses, he gets angrier and angrier and angrier rehashing the Todd Downing situation. And we'll get to Todd Downing a little bit later. But he gets angrier and angrier, and he's like, okay, Todd Downing's got to go. Like, pretty much at the end of the episode, at the beginning of the episode, neutral. 15 minutes later, we're talking, he is totally done with Todd Downing. It was the most remarkable thing I've heard on a podcast, for sure. So in saying that, and you said that you've came back, do you believe if the Titans handled this offseason on the offensive side of the ball like they did defensively last year, that Ryan Tannehill with everything going right around him can win a Super Bowl for the Tennessee Titans. Yes, I, I do. And, and I don't think, I don't think they can win a Super Bowl because of Ryan Tano. I think they could win a, a Super Bowl with Ryan Tano and it has to be, he's going to have to have weapons all over the field and the pass protection has got to be better. I, I think that's, that's the major issue. And that's because we've seen, you know, and I guess my, I, I still think it's a valid question about what, why is Tannehill consistently performing poorly in the postseason? Because I think that is now we're three years in a row where Tannehill has either not put up almost anything at all, um, even though I do think he played pretty well in that. I don't think he played great against the Patriots. Uh, in that first playoff game with the Titans. I think he played pretty well, actually, against the Ravens. Yeah, people forget that, you know, the Ravens had the uh, two great touchdown throws and catches. Yeah. And without those, you'd probably look at an entirely different game. And I get it. It's like 96 yards or whatever he threw. Right. Like, sometimes points over style, right? right? But sometimes when you're in games like you saw in the Ravens game last year in this Bengals game, you're going to need a little bit of style, too. Yeah, exactly. And that's, I think, what we've run into is we have not seen him come into a game where he has to go put up put up points because other teams just selling out to stop Henry. We haven't seen him be able to do that in the playoffs. Now, we've seen him do it in the regular season a bunch, so I'm not sure what the disconnect is there, if it's just a, the, the stage or a nerves thing or just the intensity of playoff football being, you know, too much for him. I don't know what that disconnect is, but – it's kind of baffling because you, you see they put up big numbers, right? I mean, they, he's had great seasons in 2019 and 2020 statistically. And for that not to translate into the playoffs is just strange to me because, it, you know, 
I get that like, you know, there are factors that, that are different in the playoffs, but it should not be that stark of a difference. And the only thing that I can keep coming back to is having more weapons and having an offensive coordinator and offensive approach that allows them to get into more of a downfield passing attack when Henry isn't doing it. Cause, cause that's been one common theme is of all the playoff losses, the last three years, the chiefs, the Ravens, and uh, you know, now the Bengals is they try to just jam Henry down the other team's throat, even when it's not working and they just stick with it. And, and look, I've been such an advocate for the fact that they will stick with Henry and a lot of times that pays off for them in the regular season, but that does not seem to work in the playoffs. Like, you know, when Henry was crushing the Patriots and Ravens, he was working early in those games. Like they were getting chunks early. Um, It was not, they were getting two yards of carry in the first half and then 30 yards of carry in the second half. Like it, it just seems like, they run into these situations where they are hell bent on we're, we're going to be who we are and we're not changing for anything. And they just go down with the ship. And I feel like that's a coaching thing that they're going to have to look at and really do some soul searching during the off season. And, and whether that means firing downing or not, like, I mean, I think I'm on board with getting rid of downing as is most everyone in the fan base at this point. Um, and rightfully so, but I think if if Vrabel also has to come to the table and say, look, Todd, we've got to develop a, a counterpunch. We cannot be so just wrapped around Derrick Henry to the point that our offense doesn't work if he's not out there or if he's not effective. Like They have to become more balanced uh, offensively, and I think that's a mindset thing, and that doesn't mean abandoning their identity and who they are, but it does mean – having another gear that you can go to in the passing game. And they just haven't ever developed that. And frankly, they didn't have it under Arthur Smith either Um, that he just had to deal with no Henry less. Right. So I I think that's, that's something that they absolutely have to do. It's something that we've been talking about for two years now that they need to get into have at least have that available. You don't have to use it all the time, but have it available in your offense. So I, I don't know what they're going to do if they're just going to double down on this is our identity and this is who we are and all that. I hope that's not the approach, but we'll, we'll see. Where do you land on fans right now? Are do I have a hard time figuring out, do they want to win the Super Bowl or do they just want to get to the Super Bowl? Like to me, I want to win the Super Bowl, but I see these, see these people trying to get rid of Ryan Tannehill. Right. And uh, Titans truth puts this out there. 49ers got rid of Alex Smith, went to Super Bowl. Broncos got rid of Tim Tebow, went to Super Bowl. Chiefs got rid of Alex Smith, went to Super Bowl. Bucks got rid of Jameis Winston, went to Super Bowl. They won the Super Bowl. Bengals got rid of Andy Dalton, went to Super Bowl two years later. Rams got rid of Jared Goff, went to Super Bowl. Jared Goff went to the Super Bowl. Like that, that one, like some of these don't really make sense. And a lot of these are just went to the Super Bowl. You know, I got a, a follow-up question on this, but the team wants to win a Super Bowl. Would fans be happy with just went to the Super Bowl? I think you'd be, you wouldn't be happy for sure, but you would be satisfied. Like, I would have been satisfied if they'd made it to the Super Bowl and they'd lost a hard-fought game this year. Now, 
would I have been happy? No, but, but I would have felt a lot better about this season if that had been the case, because you would have gotten two amazing playoff wins and you know, the, the two week, look, the Titans have been to the Super Bowl before and, and it was great. Like I have a lot of great memories from that 1999 team. So I, I think I'd be satisfied with the season, but it, not happy. I mean, all, everyone, nobody ends the season truly happy except for one team, right? That right. is the truth of the NFL and all major professional sports leagues. So it is, um, it is about winning the Super Bowl. It is not about participating in the Super Bowl. That that is true. Wait, when you see this list, you're talking about teams that either lost or took uh, at least a minimum of two years to get it to the Super Bowl, right? It wasn't an instant turnaround outside of the Bucks and outside of the Rams, which obviously the Rams shouldn't really count because they got to the Super Bowl with Jared Goff, right? Right. And really, all the Bucks had to do to be a competitive team in the, the NFC South was just not have a quarterback that threw 30 interceptions, right? Like that, and and however many fumbles Jameis Winston also lost. So you get rid of Ryan Tannehill and you trade, let's say you trade Ryan Tannehill away. Are you trading, are you the Lions trading away Matt Stafford or are you the the Rams trading away Jared Goff? Like that is the concern. Can Ryan Tannehill go to a team where there is maybe a more modern offense, where there is similar weapons, and perf- and get them to a Super Bowl. Like, can is what in your scenario? What's the most likely? Is he Jared Goff or is he going to be Matt Stafford? I I honestly think he's somewhere in between, which I know is a cop out. I would total say, cop uh, out. If I had to lean towards one of the other, I, I would say the way the league views him, I think the league views him closer to Goff, and, and that is a system quarterback that needs a lot right and to operate in this specific system to have success and, and whether that's fair or not, I don't know, but I think that's the way the league views him as a player. Now, how he would actually perform going somewhere else. I think he's closer to Stafford as a talent. I think his arm talent and uh, you know, his toughness and leadership and all that stuff is, is really good. Um, and I would be interested to see like, how all that would play out, but I don't think the Titans would get two first round picks from a team uh, for Tannehill, right? I think if they were offered that, that today, they would do it. Okay, so let's get down and dirty and talk about Mike Vrabel and this offensive philosophy. And you've, you've hit on a few of the points and everything. Here's my concern after listening to a full week of local radio and a lot of Greg Cassell, a lot of um, Coach Mack and a bunch of other analysts from PFF and all this stuff. The 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 first the last thing that sticks in in my mind from this whole week of radio was Greg Cassell goes on three HL and they say, "Are you surprised by the way the Tennessee Titans lost this game or the Tennessee Titans lost?" And and Buck asks a similar thing and he goes, "Am I surprised?" No, this is how the Titan. that was a Titans offensive game. That was what the Titans want to do. That's what Mike Vrabel wants to do. He wants to play defensive football. He doesn't, you know, he likes to keep things in control and everything. And when you have turnovers and you play the style of offense, there's a small margin of error. And it, 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 it goes back to what I've read in numerous books from Warren Sharp about Mike Zimmer and how Mike Zimmer's 
brand of offensive football, despite having playmakers that he has had, and he does have a quarterback similar to Ryan Tannehill and Kirk Cousins, that he can't get out of his own way and step back and say, we got to change the offensive philosophy of this team, the root offensive philosophy. Now, obviously, Mike Vrabel is a, is a better head coach than Mike Zimmer, and he's had more success than Mike Zimmer. Now, listen, Mike Zimmer plays against Aaron Rodgers twice a year. You know, Mike Vrabel has a little bit easy in the division, but not to take away anything from Mike Vrabel, but as the offense sits, have we seen the ceiling for this Titans team? Can the Titans team win? We know we, they, we think they can win with Ryan Tannehill if everything goes right. But does the offensive philosophy have to change for them to win the Super Bowl? Um, that's a tough question because I do feel like regardless of the offensive philosophy, if you turn the ball over three times, you're probably going to lose the game. I, I think, um, and I don't have the numbers in front of me, otherwise I'd uh, try to give you that stat. But I, I think if you looked at the numbers, you're probably talking like a 20% or less win percentage for teams that turn the ball over three times in the game. So I feel like you almost have to divorce the, that part of it from the equation, because that's true of all offenses. Now, if that offense, if the argument is that offense is more prone to turning the ball over or to having these big turnover games, I think that's probably a fair argument to make, but I don't know that it is. I don't, I don't know because we didn't see them turn the ball over a ton in 2019 or 2020. We just saw it happen this year. And, and I'm not sure what that, if I could, if I just knew what the root cause of the turnover avalanche games were, because they all seem to come in bunches. Right. And I don't know if it was just teams game planning a certain way for them and the Titans being too predictable in, Hey, they're going to go to these approaches when, they're presented with this situation and teams just being able some teams, you know, that understand the Titans and, and know kind of were able to predict what was coming, being able to just kind of jump into passing lanes and, and get a beat on them uh, from the film room. I think there's some argument to be made for that, but you know, do I love the, you know, keep it close and win the game in the fourth quarter approach that, you know, it seems like has been a, a married to this franchise for the, its entire existence since moving to Tennessee. No, I, I don't love it. I wish they would come out with the idea that, hey, we're going to score as many points as we possibly can. And if we blow the doors off you, great. Because um, I, I, ultimately, I think, you know, you would like to see them put away teams more convincingly and, and have more runaway blowouts and not be as, you know, coming down to the final uh, uh, quarter so often. Now, to some extent, that is the NFL, right? The NFL is right. designed for parity. Um, nobody's going to come out. This isn't college football. Nobody's going to come out and just blow people out week after week after week. You know, there, there is no, um, you know, Southeast Louisiana community college on the schedule, right? It, it is. Um, they're all good. They're all, you know, they're all professionals. They're all professionals. Exactly. So, you know, I, I don't love the approach. It, like, like we just talked about, I think they need to expand. I, I don't, I don't think, I mean, look, Sean McVay runs parts of, 
the offense that the Titans run. Uh, you know, it's a lot of the wide zone. It's a lot of inside zone. It's a lot of the West Coast principles in the passing game. There are parts of that that he runs and he's in the Super Bowl. Same goes for Zach Taylor, who came from McVay. So there are elements of this offense that really existed in all of, uh, or at least three of the four final four teams this year. So I don't think the offense structurally is the problem. I think it's the application of the offense and the fact that the, the drop back passing game just seems to be so stagnant. And I don't know if that is a Ryan Tannehill problem or if that is a coaching problem, but either way, the Titans have not had a true bet drop back passing game in years. Um, and it is holding them back, actively holding them back at this point because they, they need to have there. Not every game can be a, we're going to kick your teeth in with Derrick Henry game. Like that just cannot be the solution every single time. Um, and it feels like that's their only card uh in the deck right now and that just or at least it's the only one that they're willing to play it, so. it doesn't seem like the the run game and pass game can run independently of each other if one fails and one needs to succeed in a creative way and, and that's the biggest issue with me with this offense is that it is very much the arthur smith offense wasn't conceptually or wildly different it was efficient and effective because of how he found ways to scheme people open or scheme people across the middle of the field and play within the strengths of Ryan Tannehill. And granted, tons of injuries, right? I mean, the most injuries, unbelievable amount of injuries, and lack of chemistry could be a little bit of an issue. But I just, when you take Julio Jones out on crucial plays and final game, final minutes of a game, that that's on the offensive coordinator, right? I mean, he's the one drawing up the place. He's the one putting people in and out. And you got to think that Julio Jones wants to be in, but he's also not manufacturing touches for AJ Brown. And he'd rather do he instead of being creative. There's just no world right now where there's no multiverse where there's a timeline where really Sean McVay and Kyle Shanahan and Todd Downing are the top three play callers, right? Like there, there's no Todd Downing is not those guys. And there isn't an earth in the multiverse out there where you'll find a Todd Downing variant as good as the earth's this earth Shanahan and Shanahan and McVay find creative ways to force feed their star players where Downing finds ways to force feed Nick Westbrook, Akina and Chester Rogers. Like, that's what he does. Regardless of injuries, you have healthy AJ and healthy Julio. And instead of finding ways to get the ball in their hands, you're finding ways to throw screens, predictable screens uh, that have no variance to them to Chester Rogers. And your your last minute of the game, you're finding ways to give it to Nick Westbrook and Kine while Julio Jones is on the sidelines. Like it's wild to me how start the stark contrast between those offensive play callers are really a bunch of them. I mean, even when DK Metcalf is having a bad day, they're finding ways to still try to target him or finding ways to feed Tyler Lockett or something. It's like if the pass game's not working on the first few plays or play action's not working, they kind of give up on it. And you got to keep trying to, you got to find ways to get creative and he just finds ways to be uncreative. I mean, the Bengals 
they just knew everything that was going to happen, that everything that they were going to do and happen, they knew. And they're very honest about it. Like, I don't think that they are, you know, blowing smoke up everyone's ass or anything. I truly think they really knew what the play calls were because when you look at when you look at everything that no flag films posted on his on his thread it's all predictable like he can figure it out and he said it best he can figure it out why couldn't professional defensive coordinators who spend time looking at film not be able to figure it out and players can easily recognize the tendencies and sure Tannehill was late on some and you know Tannehill probably should have thrown it at the guy's feet instead of throwing it up in the air or whatever. But it goes back to also play calling and putting your players in positions to succeed. And I don't really think Todd Downing ever grasped how to be creative and how to use certain plays and scheme up stuff like Arthur Smith did. That was the, it may seem like Arthur Smith was creative, but he was so simple in everything that he did, and he just wanted to do the simple things well, whereas Todd Downing just does simple, predictable things out of the same formations and the same setup every time. That has to change. Do you think that there is a offensive guru like Jim Schwartz that can come in here and fix that? Or the Titans, unless the AFC scores zero offensive touchdowns, which is what I'm hoping – that they stick with Todd Downing and they don't bring in anybody. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I still think like Tim Kelly is a guy that I would like to see them have on staff. And I, I know people look at the Texans offensive output and they're like, Oh, they're the worst offense in the league last year. Fine. Like, I don't care about that. <laughs> Davis mills uh, at quarterback most of the year. And Hey, Davis Mills looked pretty good by the end of the year. And and they had more explosive pass plays than the Tennessee Titans. Yeah. And Tim Kelly was also the guy that developed Deshaun Watson into the monster that he became on the field. Uh don't think he had anything to do with the monster he is off the field. Um, <laughs> but but he uh he has done some really nice work with the Texans passing attack over the years. And I, I think writing him off because of uh you know the results or the points they scored with i mean uh, everyone laughed at their roster all season yeah all off season and then you're going oh this guy couldn't make it work with this crappy group of uh like washed out skill players like uh, yeah it, it's ridiculous but i i think tim kelly would be my first choice or i mean you know if doug peterson doesn't get a uh, head coaching job. I wouldn't mind them bringing in like a Doug Peterson to bring in some different kind of, cause he's a, from a very different tree of offensive coaching. Right. So he, he kind of has the, the read background. Um, and obviously he's had a lot of offensive success, um, along the way himself. So I think bringing in someone like that would be great. Um, now, are you surprised that no offensive assistance really or coaching staff changes happened last week when you know all that was going down i am surprised because yeah you, you definitely didn't expect the defensive side of the ball to see the the change now i i don't think hazlitt was you know doing a killer job over there obviously david long developed very nicely um 
but you know, I don't, you don't know how much that's the player or how much that's the coach for sure. Um, Rashawn Evans and Jayon Brown got worse under Hazlitt. I think that's pretty um, un, undeniable at this point. And Zach Cunningham was a fully fledged, uh, you know, Pro Bowl linebacker before he got here. So it is, um, I don't think that's some huge loss. And Kenechi Udeze, who knows? I mean, he's an assistant defensive line coach. Like, for all we know, he was just a bad coach or just, you know, not doing his job or, you know, always late with his reports or whatever. You know, who knows why these guys get fired? We don't, all we look at is like the performance of that position group on the field and then assume that those coaches are doing a great job. That's not always the case. Like, I mean, it could just be that Vrabel thought he was a, asshole and you know it was like i gotta get rid of this guy um i don't know you heard it here first Kenichi daisy asshole asshole who was late with his reports um i don't know any of that to be true i'm just saying like there's a lot of reasons a guy could get fired that doesn't have anything to do with the performance of his actual position group like it they're they know and that's always the thing for me with all of these position coaches and and stuff like that the coaches in the building know so much more about the job that those guys are doing than anybody from the outside looking in. Like you can't just look at, Oh, well, Jeffrey Simmons had a great year. So Kenichi Daisy must've been awesome as an assistant defensive line coach. Oh, like uh, that's not a apples to apples uh, direct correlation there. Like that, that just isn't the only thing you can look at, but I am surprised that they didn't make any offensive changes with the struggles they had on that side of the ball. Um, I guess like that, that group has been together for so long. Maybe they're just saying, you know, we appreciate the continuity and obviously that group has had success. Like, I mean, all those position coaches, you know, besides downing and I guess uh, uh, Les Steckel who took over the tight ends for downing besides them. I, I mean, Rob Moore, uh, Tony Dews, Pat O'Hara, all those guys, Keith Carter, uh, Mike Sullivan, all those guys have been with the Titans since Vrabel got here. And they've had a ton of offensive success uh, for the most part since Vrabel got here. So I can understand wanting to say, all right, the injuries and all that were a major problem. But I do think looking at downing specifically is – important because you know he was a major change in that offense um in addition to the injuries and and i think you can point to as many people have specific instances where it's like yeah that's a downing problem that is the bengals knew that little bubble screen was coming before the ball was snapped and that is why it was intercepted because otherwise mike hilton shouldn't have been in that passing lane it, it should have been uh, a completion for three yards or whatever his, uh, you know, grand hopes were for that play call. Um, and yeah, stuff like that is a major problem. And, and, you know, I don't know, maybe they can self scout it and adjust it in the off season, but we've seen two seasons now of Todd Downing offensive coordinator and neither one has been very good. Um, so I think that's becoming a problem. Let's uh, do some quick hits here. So, in general, what do you want to see the Titans do this offseason? I'm looking at upgrading, obviously, tight end one and upgrading wide receiver three. I don't think you can rely on any of the wide receivers to be the slot wide receiver three. Now, obviously, you can you know move people around and stuff, but 
And on defense, I would like to see them keep mostly the same guys back and add in Rashad Weaver, add in Caleb Farley, and rock and roll. Yeah, I'm pretty much with you. Uh, Defensively, I think they have to bring Landry back. I think you let the Evans and um, uh, Jayon Brown walk, uh, and you come back hopefully with Zach Cunningham, David Long, and Monty Rice as your kind of three inside linebackers, top three in that rotation. And you could probably get one of Jayon Brown and Rashawn Evans back like you saw Jayon Brown come back last year. More than yeah. maybe. You, you yeah, can get you might, their replacement. You might be able to get them back cheap. Yeah, or or replace them, you know, without, without too much headache. Um, but, yeah, I think Landry's really the key guy they've got to get back on defense because I don't think you want to risk – uh, ruining what was the best unit of the team um, by letting him walk. And uh, yeah, it, I mean, offensively, I think you've got to throw all your resources besides bringing back Landry into rebuilding the offense. Um, and you've got to get, you got to totally rebuild the tight end room. I, I really don't think they should bring any of those guys back. I, I mean, Ferkser at this point is what he is. He's a, decent third down tight end but that's all he is um he is not going to be a full-time tight end at any point he just can't block well enough um it's not going to happen in year what five for him or whatever it would be um so i think you get rid of the all the whole group of them i mean maybe maybe swaim or pruitt comes back but I'm not even sure I'd be terribly excited to have either of those guys back Pruitt, mostly just because of the injury and coming off of that and the complications there. So I would totally rebuild the tight end room, um, go add some receiver help um, and try to get some young pieces on this offensive line, because it is, if you don't start replacing them now, you're going to have to start replacing them very soon because it is a very elderly group now and uh, you saw a lot of injury issues pop up throughout the year, especially with Luan and Saffold and, you know, Ben Jones even, I think, was really struggling at points physically, although he plays through everything. I'm pretty sure he'd have to have, like, a leg literally fall off before he'd be uh, able to come out of the game. Um, so, yeah, it, it, there's a lot to do on offense, I think. Um, and, look, I still stand by the idea that if – you fall in love with one of these quarterbacks and I'm not saying they should or shouldn't, but you know, we'll see kind of what, what their evaluation is on these guys. But if you fall in love with a Malik Willis or a, you know, whoever it may be, Kenny Pickett and and one of those guys slides into that like 10 pick 10 to 15 range and you could trade up to go get them. I wouldn't hesitate to do it. Cause you know, Tannehill I think is a good quarterback. Um, and I'm not unhappy with Tannehill being the quarterback next year. And I think he'll be the starter next year, but his contract becomes very easy to move off of following next season. Um, and if you could find a guy that you really like and could bring him along and kind of have him not have to start week one uh, right away and, and work him in, that's a, that's a luxury. Um kind of situation and you do need to start figuring out what this offensive identity is in 2023 and beyond because look you're probably going to have a pretty good defense for the next few years uh given the talent that they've got accumulated on that side of the ball um and it would be a shame for them to just let this offense age and fall apart and not have a next generation ready to go so 
I, I'm not saying they should draft a quarterback, but if, if they have one that they love, I wouldn't hesitate to trade up and go get him. The, I, I think that also goes into effect. You would have a manageable contract at quarterback. Finally, that opens up a whole lot. But on top of that, especially with the cap going up, that shows that you're building around AJ Brown. That's my next question. I think you, I think you lean this way too. People always said you got to build around Derrick Henry or the offense needs to run through Derrick Henry. I doth protest that you need this team needs to be building around AJ Brown and focused on getting quarterbacks and an, a younger playmaker to pl- pair with him in the passing game for the future because his contract extension is coming up, right? I mean, they, they can't let AJ Brown go. You let AJ Brown and you don't work out a deal, you're sending the wrong message to your whole entire fan base. And, and really, in all honesty, that's who you should be building around. I love Derrick Henry. You know I love Derrick Henry. But by the time this quarterback, young quarterback's ready to start, he's going to be at least two more years of tread on his life. And he is a running back. I understand that he's probably the exception to the rule. And probably in two years, he can at least still get you 1,300 yards. But in all reality, you don't need Derrick Henry. Oh, let me say this. This team does need Derrick Henry to go for 2,000 yards to win games because that's how they built it. But you shouldn't rely on that. You can be a, a, a better passing offense and still have Derrick Henry eat. It doesn't, they, the both things can be true. And to do that, you're going to have to get a young quarterback, whether it's in this draft class or next with a manageable contract and another wide receiver and a pass catching tight end of some sort, whether I don't care how you get it. I don't care if you throw a buttload of money at Mike Jacecki or if you draft Trey McBride, I I don't care. You have to change it. Do you feel the same way? AJ Brown's the future and whoever this young quarterback and playmakers they buy are, or do you think that like most fans, it's gotta be for Derrick Henry. No, you have you absolutely have to build around AJ Brown because I mean at this point, look, I, and I've been one to say Derrick Henry is the exception to the rule until proven otherwise, right? Um, but he is 28 years old. He is coming off of a major foot injury. Um, the history of running backs getting to this age is not great. And look, I'm not going to doubt Derrick Henry for one second that he's going to come back in 2022 and be raring to go to prove that he is still the guy, right? I mean, that that guy had to sit there and listen to all the Jonathan Taylor talk for um, two months while he was, you know, working back from his foot injury and trying to get back for the playoffs. And look, he clearly didn't look quite himself um, in that Bengals game. So, and, and look, first game back, all that stuff. I think an off season where he'll be healthy, he'll be able to train fully. Um, he'll be able to get confidence back in that foot and cutting on it and everything like that. He should be much closer to what we normally expect Derrick Henry to be at the start of next season. But look, he's got two years left on his contract. It would be a surprise if they signed him to, to another big money deal. A.J. Brown is the future, and I really think A.J. Brown is the present at this point. This team needs to go through A.J. Brown and through, you know, whichever wide receiver they can find to pair with him, frankly. Because I, I think 
obviously I, I think Julio is probably back next year. Cause you don't save any money really by cutting him. And uh, you know, it, it, you'd rather have Julio uh, and pay $12 million or whatever the number is than have the not have Julio and pay $11 million. Right. I mean, I, I think that's a pretty easy uh, decision for me, even if he's going to be hurt. Like I, I don't care about all that. Like for what I can get out of them, I'd rather have them if the difference is only a million bucks, which is what it is. Um, so I think Julio's back, but I think you draft somebody pretty early on. Um, and, and I wouldn't be opposed to the first round if they can get a Traylon Burks or a Chris Olave or, or, you know, somebody who might be in that back half of the um, first round that could be the long-term pairing with AJ Brown. And this becomes an offense that is led by receivers and led by the passing game. I think that's where they need to go. You can still run the ball and still be effective running the ball, but you've got to have stars at that receiver position. All the teams in, in that final grouping had elite, elite pass catchers. I think that's probably the one thing that connects them all. You had the Bengals, trio obviously you had the chiefs with hill and kelsey you had the rams with uh obj and cup uh and then you had the the niners even with debo and kittle and Ayuk. so i mean it, it is it is a passing league and it is a wide receiver league now so i, I think you've got to build around aj brown so let me ask you this if you're building around aj brown and you don't have a second round pick this year if you trade Tannehill and you have to trade maybe probably two first round picks and maybe a second round pick in 2023. What does that do for this team's future outlook to you? I mean, let's say they're trading for Russell Wilson, who is just four months or three months younger than Ryan Tannehill. Now you have to wait two or three years to probably get the quarterback of the future. Do you, does that move? help put you over the edge to do that. And then in two or three years after the Russell Wilson contract's gone and after you have your draft picks back, are you in a better place than just keeping Ryan Tannehill? You know, long-term, maybe not. I guess it depends on how long like a Russell Wilson would want to play um, for one thing. And also how good of a job could, John Robinson do rebuilding around Russell Wilson, because look, regardless of who the quarterback is here, the offensive line needs some investment. Like they are not going to be able to run this unit back for more than uh, like, maybe you could bring them back next year and hope cross your fingers. Everyone stays healthy, but odds are getting slimmer and slimmer of that actually happening. Um, they desperately have to rebuild this offensive line for a future uh, generation. And you, you still need to rebuild. Like we've talked about the tight end room and add a receiver and all that. So you are spending some of the capital that you would normally use to do those things in getting that quarterback. And, you know, yeah, you would hate to bring in Russell Wilson and then not be able to block for him. Right. So um, yeah, it, it's, it's a tough situation. It really is. Cause I don't know. I don't know that you have a ton more success if you do trade for Russell Wilson, just putting him in this group and saying, "Up oh, here he is." Uh, and by the way, we're going to have a terrible offensive line, 
uh, or pass blocking offensive line at least. Something he's used to, right? But well, why would you go? Why would you uh, upend your no trade clause to come to a team that has arguably worse wide receivers to throw to and an arguably worse offensive line if you look by all the metrics? Yeah, I would say without a doubt a worse worse <laughs> pass pass catching group right now. Yeah. Um. So it, yeah, I think it's. I don't think it's as simple as just, hey, go get Russell Wilson and they rip off a couple Super Bowls. Like, it's just not – this team has more problems than just the quarterback, um, even though a quarterback obviously gets the brunt of the, the blame and also the brunt of the – or the, the majority of the praise when it goes well. So, um, yeah, it is – it would be difficult, I feel like, for them to trade away that first-round pick for the quarterback, not have a second, and then you're you're in a spot where your first pick is in the third, and uh, yeah, it, it, you you would have to knock free agency out of the park. And by the way, trading for Russell Wilson would add to your cap bill too. So like you're gonna have to cut probably Taylor Lewan and Roger Saffold and find replacements. Yeah, and then what them. do you do from there? Right, like I mean, yeah. It, Raiden's at left tackle and Brewer at left. Like, I don't know. Like it, it is, it becomes very difficult uh, to manage the roster. I think if you do that, so. Um, and it, you don't have draft picks, which means right. that you don't have young talent coming in or listen, if you want the playmaking wide receiver, then you, you can't trade for Russell Wilson at this point, almost like, I mean, sure. You may be able to find a guy in the third round, but are we really going to trust uh, John Robinson, who drafted Des Fitzpatrick in the fourth when when he didn't have to, and and to make that third or fourth round pick evaluation for a wide receiver, I, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know if I could. Yeah, it, I mean, it's it just becomes harder to find. Like it, it, with every position, it's harder to yeah. find a guy that's going to be elite later in the draft. Like if you're going to try to get a, a guy that's going to be a real difference maker as far as a wide receiver goes and a guy that like we talk about like the You need the a guy like Tyler the, Lockett. Look at Tyler right. Lockett. That's what this team is missing and that's what Russell Wilson loves to go to the most. Right. And and if you want a guy like that, like I think a Chris Olave would be a good example of somebody like that who's just got, you know, elite route running ability, can get open all the time you've got to get them in the first, like those guys just aren't going to sit there in the third and fourth rounds. It, most of the time. Now there are certainly exceptions. Like somebody could go point to, you know, whatever wide receiver in the third round that turned out to be really good. That happens sometimes, but it's rare. It's way yeah. rarer in the third and fourth. You're round counting on something that has a 10% of chance happening. 100% coming true. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So it's, it's all about probability in the draft and, yeah, if you want to if you want to play making wide receiver, I think tr- probability will tell you first round picks the place to get them. Okay, real quick, T- Tennessee Titans fans are now arguing over Steve McNair being that Ryan Tannehill is not as good as Steve McNair because Steve McNair got to at least got everybody to the Super Bowl. What they're not remembering is they threw for seventy six yards and an interception and zero touchdowns in the Buffalo Bills game that required the music city miracle a play with the word miracle in it to even have a chance to go to the super bowl and his only chance to go to the super bowl thoughts on on that whole take that is that is a very good point um yeah it, mcnair was dreadful in that game um and 
yeah, if the Music City Miracle, like if they if they don't have that play happen, it would be interesting to see kind of what McNair's legacy would have been. That's all we that need play. these fans can point to is like, well, at least Steve got us to the Super Bowl. Yeah, which it's a team sport, right? Like it right. is. It, but it's it also is. also downplaying other stuff that McNair did in the regular season, in my opinion. And I love Steve. Like I'm what I'm saying is I think you're really downplaying everything else he's done in the regular season by saying that he went to the Super Bowl, the team went to the Super Bowl. And that Frank Wycheck and those guys in the Music City Miracle are the reason why they even had a shot to go. And, and look, I'm not this. I, I don't want this to be a like bash on Steve McNair session by any means. Like I love the guy, um, you know, arguably still my favorite Titan of all time, but he wasn't that great in the playoffs either. You know, his, his career playoff stats, his completion percentage is less than 60%. He threw six touchdowns versus 11 interceptions in his uh, uh, 10 career playoff games. He uh, had averaged 5.7 yards per attempt which is horrific he averaged 176 yards per game like these are bad 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 numbers um he was not a great playoff quarterback either and we remember it differently because that team did have so much success but yeah they scored a lot of special teams touchdowns in the playoffs that year um and the defense was phenomenal you know javon curse was you know seemingly making a huge play every game so I do think it is a little bit of, uh, yeah, remembering fondly something that happened long ago uh, just by the results of the team as a whole when people say that McNair's playoff performances are why he's better than Tannehill. Like, if you want to make the argument that he's better than Tannehill, there's an argument to be made there, but it is not based off of his playoff performances. All right. We've got some pro bowlers in there. Level of excitement for, I guess, happy for them, but don't really care, right? Happy for the guys individually because I know I know they care about it. Like they, you know, Simmons was pissed that that he didn't get selected initially when the teams came out. Um, and Saffold has never been somehow, despite being like one of the best guards in the league for like at least four or five years now. Um, so I'm happy for those guys. Uh, deserve like. Saffold, I'm not sure like this year, you know, his level of, you know, performance deserved it. But career wise, I think he's been more than due to go to one. So I'm glad he's getting that opportunity. And um, I could care less about the game. I will not watch it, even with Vrabel coaching. Don't care. Um, But, you know, hey, good for those guys. Uh, Jim Schwartz had a play or the Colts were trying to plan keyword plan to interview Jim Schwartz for the vacant defensive coordinator job. But it seems like for all intents and purposes, they've narrowed it down to maybe Chris Harris from the bears as their defensive coordinator, which kind of gets me as Aaron Wilson has reported. If Jim Schwartz left big blow for him to go over to the Colts because Eagles fans seem to are an analysts seem to think that of the Colts, if they enjoyed the Carson Wentz roller coaster, you enjoy a Jim Schwartz roller coaster. Um, I, I would have some concern of him going, uh, just, we don't know, like we really don't know how much of an effect he had. Um, but and I tend to lean towards like it was more the players and Bowen than Schwartz. Like I would put him third on the reasons of, of the defensive improvement. 
honestly, but I don't want to find out. And I definitely don't want to find out when uh, it's a division rival that could be benefiting potentially. So I, I just find it so hard for a guy that's grown basically most of his coaching career in the Tennessee area against the Colts that you're that you would go over to the Colts. Like it just feels dirty to me. It does feel dirty. And, but I mean, these guys are all mercenaries. Like they're going to go where they can get a paycheck. Yeah. I, I, th- I don't think they're going to end up going with them. So I'm kind of, you know, okay with it either way. I didn't really think it was going to be, I don't really think he was ever really over there involved because it just says plan. Not that they are, that they plan to interview. Well, and also, I'm, I'm pretty sure he could have had a DC job before now if he really wanted one. Yeah. I think his deal was that he wanted to be back in Nashville with his family and like not have the stress of being a defensive coordinator. Like he's in a lesser role that's a little less responsibilities and he can probably kick out of the building a little early and yeah. go spend time with the kids, you know? Let's end on some Jags trash talk. The Jags coaching search is the worst coaching <laughs> search I've ever seen. I it's, mean, it's full balls level. It it's is balls level coaching yeah, search. It is horrendous. You're first off, Byron. Le- the whole Byron left with situation is funny to me because they're they're, they're essentially choosing Trent Balky over a guy that has meant so much to their franchise and has shown success. But what's funny to me is that Byron Leftwich, for whatever reason, is standing for Adrian Wilson, who's only been a scout for two years, to be a general manager of a franchise. Wild. But there is no direction from the Khan family so far in this. I mean, they are just shooting and wildly, you know, with their search. Is this the most beautiful disaster you have ever seen? (laughs) It, it may be the second most beautiful disaster behind everything that happened last year with Urban Meyer because <laughs> it's hard. It's going to be hard to top them hiring Urban Meyer, him immediately having to fire his strength coach, then like getting into all these like meaningless arguments with like, you know, with everything that happened over the past year with him. It's going to be really hard to top it, but I am so here for them trying because I think they are. It, it is just like. Weren't they the first job open? I mean, technically, uh, they're yeah, the first job open because so. they have how they opened up the coaching search earlier in the regular season. What are the odds that they're the last team to, to, to get someone? It's unbelievable. And, and yeah, it seems like nobody wants to work with Balky, uh, but then they were going to hire like this, the Cardinals. Uh, assistant GM and put him with Leftwich, but then that, I, like, I would love to know what's really happened with that because it seemed like that was teed up, ready to go, and then somehow Balky talked them out of it or something. I, it is insane to me that they are clinging to Trent Balky of all people <laughs> and not and letting him hijack this entire process, like. It's so funny. The Jaguars are an absolute disaster. They continue to embarrass themselves. Like if I was Trevor Lawrence, I would go tell Shad Khan, you're trading me right now. And I I'm not playing another game for you. Like I will sit out until you move me like full stop. I'm out of here because this isn't going to go well. Like I don't care who they hire at this point. It is a clown show over there. Their fans should always dress as clowns because that is what their organization is. You are rooting for the clowns. 
Uh, last but not least, Tom Brady officially retired during the podcast. He put out his own four-post Instagram story, so it is official. Um, level, obviously, everybody respects Tom Brady, but aren't you glad he's fucking out of the league? I am so happy there is no Tom Brady in the league because I think I Tom am. Brady out of the league is going to be so much more enjoyable than when he was in the league. I'm fascinated to see what he does because it, it is – He's he's not going to coach because he's too rich to coach. Like uh, and and like Vrabel made a lot of money too, but he's not Tom Brady level. And I don't think he's going to be a TV analyst. I, I don't think he's going that route. Maybe he ends up owning a team at some point. I could see that getting to that point. Um, I don't I don't know. Uh, you know, between I can him see like Giselle. a Manning cast kind of deal. And because to me, his personality so when he golfs. Yeah. And and he's playing in all these golf matches and stuff, and he's like mixing it up with a bunch of different athletes or personalities. He's just so good. I I think he's that amazing. he, yeah, I think he gets his own podcast network or creates his own podcast network or something like that. And I think that there's going to be like a Manning cast, Tom Brady involvement kind of thing. That would be great, it, actually. Because I mean, Eli's great and all, but couldn't you just yeah. replace Tom Brady with? Uh, oh, if and, it was. <laughs> If it was Peyton, Peyton and Tom, that, that would be unbelievable to sit there and listen. Like, yeah, I I agree with you. And I do like Eli and, but I do think three would be too many. So I think just having Peyton and Tom would be unbelievable, but I don't know who knows, who knows what he'll do, but I'll be fascinated to see. And yeah, I'm excited. He's out of the league. Like, look, it's been incredible to watch his career and I'm so thankful that I got to see what he did because I, I don't think we'll ever see anybody quite like him again. Um, and that's been awesome, but I'm glad it's over because I am ready for some new. His reign of terror is over. Mike. Yeah, some <laughs> new, some new people to watch and root for and, and root against and everything else. And, and there's, it's it feels more wide open now like the league does to me because it's all these young quarterbacks now and they have the mantle and it is their time i guess with rogers kind of still floating around out there but um it's exciting it's it's kind of a passing of the torch moment it feels well we've been kind of blessed as a as particularly us uh kids born in the 80s right i mean yeah we've seen the goats of goats in all kinds of sports michael jordan the williams sisters tiger woods Tom Brady, I mean, Joe Montana, Joe Montana, Chris Jericho. I mean, all these superior athletes with accolades in their respective sports are just, it's been awesome to watch. And we've seen them all at their peak and seen them go out on their own terms. And some people are still going and still at the top of their game. It's been amazing. It has been been very blessed. Very cool. Absolutely. Yeah. We we are a lucky generation sports wise because we've gotten to see, some really truly incredible talents well that will do it for us thanks for coming on mike he is mike herndon at mike miracle semi-retired professional sports analyst i am zach Lyons, full-time sports analyst podcast host voice <laughs> voice of the titans fans i guess is what uh someone voice of the fans someone called me um award-winning podcast football and other f-words you can follow me on twitter at f-words pod you can follow Broadway Sports and get all the podcasts like Music City Audible and just listen to Justin Graver go insane over a course of 50-something minutes. Uh, we have the Coach's Corner, the Titans in 10, and then you also have, we are partnered with 440 Sports, who has Lamestream Media, 
daily podcast. They have uh, hockey season is about to start. So you got the gold standard soccer season, I think, is about to come again. Didn't it just end and it's about to start up again or something? It's about to start up again. Yeah. But you they, got they all, short off seasons. Yeah. You got Speedway soccer for that. And you also have a uh, club and country, I think, is their, the soccer one for uh, 440. So you got all kinds of options here in Tennessee. And I listen to them all. They're all good in their own way, in their own right. I am Zach Lyons. You have just been effed. A Broadway Sports Media Production.